not met that many people, Asian Americans in real life who are like super, super left leaning. Yeah. Yeah. Younger people. Yeah. Younger, younger younger people in general are super left leaning. Yeah. Because all they've known is like economic crisis. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Because all me growing up, it was all everyone was just trying to succeed. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, it, the the feeling was totally different. It was like, um, like we didn't feel that negative about the world. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this the other day. I was like, it just was totally different. Like I didn't, we didn't go around thinking we're talking about how the world's going to end because of climate. Yeah, disaster. not to say it wasn't going to end back then. We just didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now it's out. Yeah, because all of us in our age group, we like pretty much grew up in the nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, granted, like September eleventh happened uh, in two thousand and one and stuff, but. You know, like if if like history looks back, right, the height of the American empire will be the nineties and Bill Clinton mm-hmm. will be yeah, our Augustus Caesar. Nineties so. <laughs> was the height. Yeah. yeah. Escape from plan A. another episode of escape from plan a i'm your host chris and i i said this in the last episode but in case you missed it i am oxford i'm the same person but i've decided to drop the pseudonym uh for various reasons if you want to find out why just listen to the last episode basically just planned on doing it all along figured now's you know new decade new year time to new you new me yeah <laughs> uh, which is the old me <laughs> but uh, so i have with me teen what's up teen hey and very excited to have a guest Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Th- very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners will probably know who you are uh, based on your tweets and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I want to let you introduce yourself, like your handle and, and what you do. And it's okay. Uh, so my handle is cat content only. My name is Amanda. I guess you may know me because I've been tweeting a lot about coronavirus and the racism surrounding coronavirus in particular, uh, and just in general, uh, Asian, Chinese-American issues um, in particular. Did you say your Twitter handle? Oh, I did. Cat content only. Yeah. yeah. In case people, uh, I, I think, if they weren't sure who you are before, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll know who you are now. You have cats, right? I don't have cats. I used to have cats, okay. um, but I used to have three cats. Uh, but then I moved away for grad school and I gave them to my cousin. Uh, their names were Taco, Penelope, and Pickles. Okay. So I no longer have cats, but I love cats. Huh. How, how'd you decide on those names? Um, Pickles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a kitten and uh, like I, I was trying to think of a name for him and someone suggested Pickles. And then Penelope, no reason for that. I just thought it was a cute name for like a girl cat. And then Taco, I just thought it was a funny name for like a, a cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wasn't Penelope the wife of Odysseus in the Iliad? Am I embarrassing maybe. myself? Kind of. Ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> totally wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought maybe you were like a Greek geek or something. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> okay. Um. Is, is this the first podcast you've been on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we beat... Because you're going to be on Red Nation. You're going on Red, Red Nation. Red Nation. Yeah, right, Red so we, Nation. We beat them yeah. by a week. You're- it's not the first interview that I've done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah tell us more because you were on Al Jazeera recently. Tell us, tell us about how that went. It was actually very stressful. So last Sunday, well, a couple weeks ago, a producer from Al Jazeera saw one of my viral tweets and... She DM'd me and she asked if I was interested in uh, like doing a live on-air interview segment. Um, and I said, sure. Uh, but, you know, maybe like 30 minutes later, she said she was like bumping me for like a DC think tank person. And she said, uh, you know, she would uh, try and have me on later on in the week. But I kind of I kind of figured that, you know, nothing was going to happen. But last Sunday, I woke up. And um, I got a DM from her saying, like, asking me to uh, respond when I woke up uh, because she had a slot for me. 
And uh, I had no idea, but these things are like incredibly stressful and like incredibly by the seam of your pants. Um, so I messaged her back and she gave me a call and she was like, okay, so the the segment is broadly about misconceptions around coronavirus. This was like a live section? Like it would be airing live? It or? would be live. Yeah, it okay. was live. Yeah. Um, and she was like, you know, it's going to be at the top of the news hour. Um, and broadly, the segment is going to be about uh, misconceptions around coronavirus. And I was like, okay, good. Um, so I thought it would be misconceptions as in um, like the sort of premature panic around coronavirus and people thinking that it's actually deadlier than it actually is. Uh, more people uh, infected in the U.S. than there actually are. Um, and so I prepared all my talking points around that. So, you know, I – basically, I had like three hours to prepare and get myself to the studio in Manhattan. Um, so I, you know, prepared talking points and then, um, you know, I left my house around 1, one thirty, or sorry, uh, 12, 1230. And um, as I was walking to the studio, the producer calls me and it's like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to be there. And she's like, okay, I finally got details about what this segment is actually about. (laughs) (laughs) Al Jazeera, get your act together. What the hell? I I think this is the way that the news cycle works. Like it's so like, so, you know, but she um she was like the segment's going to be about hoaxes surrounding the coronavirus and uh it's going to be about this video that's gone viral about like the chinese government euthanizing people um infected with coronavirus or something like that and she started like like talking about all of these hoaxes that i'd never heard of before <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, wait. Do you, did you have? Did they give you any indication of how many people would be watching? I'm just curious. I have no idea. Uh-huh. They did not give me an indication. I have no idea how many people watched. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, like I prepared what I prepared. So basically, I had to like direct all of the questions that the host or whatever asked to my talking points. My talking points. Yeah. Right. That's very um, good. Like political media instincts, right? Stick yeah. Stick to your talking points. Yeah. 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 From shit poster to news pundit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to have you on because, you know, we've been following you on Twitter for a while. And I think a lot of people appreciate the way that mm-hmm. you basically stick it to the, you know, fuckers at New York Times and yeah. LA Times and New- Washington Post, especially with the uh, coronavirus thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll, and, and you get a lot of shit for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we really appreciate you putting yourself <laughs> out there. Uh, why don't you just tell us more about where you're coming from and just like, what led you to do this? Because like, like a lot of Asian Americans, I think lately yeah. have been coming out and be like, you know, we could just, you know, go along to get along. Yeah. Um, there is a path set for us established mm-hmm. by people who came before us, but a lot of us are rejecting that and risking, uh, you know, attacks, mm-hmm. unpopularity, mm-hmm. humiliation, hate, whatever. But we just feel like we have to uh, speak out. So I just want to know what compelled you to do that. Um not really sure um you know i I, i'm fairly new to twitter i've only had an account well i've had an account for like five years since grad school but i didn't um i didn't really start regularly tweeting um until about last year um and you know like i'm like i primarily like uh pay attention to politics and stuff like that so i started tweeting about that and then, um, I don't know, like, it, there was just, like, this perfect storm where um, there was a lot of escalating anti-Chinese sentiment within the past year, first with the Hong Kong protests and then um, leading up to this coronavirus thing, right? Because basically all the breathless coverage of the Hong Kong protests, um, they didn't really gain any traction, right? So. Once this coronavirus epidemic sprung up, it was just a blessing in disguise to uh, uh, to the U.S. media. All of the energy that was, um, you know, like put forth on the protest became, uh, you know, sort of shifted. They like transferred that energy. 
the Xinjiang stuff too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, it's been like priming the public to really just hate. Yeah. yeah. So all of it was transferred to the coronavirus epidemic. Um, and I think, so, I mean, like, I know you've all talked about this a lot, but the primary avenue for, like, Asian American political expression is one of, like, a politically assimilational, assimilationalist one, right? Um, you know, politically liberal, but still believing in, like, the U.S. project as a whole. Um, but, you know, there's... A younger generation. Sorry, what do you? Uh, I'm just curious what you mean by that. Like believing in the U.S. project, like like okay, so um, so as an Asian American, we are kind of brought up to believe in this model minority myth, right? That um, if you work hard, you can succeed. It's a very like um, meritocratic like way of believing, and um, this, like all results are just fruits of your own labor and your merit. Yeah, and, yeah. exactly. And um, we're seen as like good, hardworking minorities, but it's also like an identity that's predicated upon, you know, like renouncing your country of origin as like dirty, backwards, communist, um, and really having faith in uh, like U.S. foreign policy and just like believing in uh, U.S. foreign policy as a force for good. Right. Um, Yeah. If you just look at the, you know, protests that have been going on. In the last like year, year and a half, uh, where have like most of the protests are very anti-American, right? But where are the ones in which they are waving American flags? Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and then uh, the more uh, the anti-moon protests that are mm-hmm. going on in Korea for for the last few months. Yeah, they will wave American flags. I think in Iran was that thing in Iran real? I don't know. Like I can't ever trust the news these days. But remember how after Soleimani's death, right? Um, yeah, there was like first uh, like a, a mass mourning for him, but then. In the American media, I saw them reporting that there were actually all these uh, Iranians who are now blaming the government for shooting on the airplane and stuff, and they were waving mm-hmm. American flag. So maybe may that, uh, whatever. But it, it, it's like if, if you're an American, and especially if you're kind of this like liberal nationalist mm-hmm. who uh, you know it doesn't want to be like an outright imperialist, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of like back in like 2002, your heart was really with George W. Bush when he went into Iraq. Mm-hmm. You look around the world, where are they waving those flags? It's always kind of like in East Asia, right? Yeah. And that's like, that's the identity that we've inherited as Asian yeah. Americans. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess um, I started tweeting about that stuff because, you know, there are a lot of uh, Asian American accounts that are like that. And when the coronavirus epidemic sort of happened, uh, there were a lot of people Chinese people who were rightfully like calling out uh, the racism uh, surrounding it. Um, But I noticed that a lot of them were only calling out like the incidents of like interpersonal racism, like, you know, like you're on a train and you cough and a white person like flinches or something like that. Right. Um, Because a lot of Asian Americans only see racism as something interpersonal, as an interpersonal phenomenon. but I didn't see a lot of people drawing attention to the Orientalist or Sinophobic way that uh, coronavirus was being covered in the media. Um, so there was like no link. I didn't see any link between the way that it was covered in the media connected to like interpersonal racism and then that connected to like U.S. empire. If that makes that's, sense. That's long been my frustration with how yeah. Asian Americans talk about it. Like, yeah. I like one of the things that really angered me was this. We, I've probably beat this over the. Is the, it Michael the, Law? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, like, I know what you're gonna talk about. Yeah, but like that, you know, the whole instinct to say like, you know, I'm an exception. Like mm-hmm. my parents don't like China. I'm I don't consider myself part of China. So how dare you tell me to go back to China? And a lot of my uh, Fabi friends were like, "The fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Like he just threw us all under the bus." You know what I mean? And. That, that was the thing. I think a lot of times that I see this. Uh, whole, well, why don't you uh, like talk about what that Michael Lau? Because uh, what happened? Yeah. Well, he, he's he's this like sort of fancy mm-hmm. dude. What is he? Editor? Uh, he was New the Yorker editor now, of the New York Times, like and yeah. now he's the editor of the New Yorker. Yeah, the online online editor. Oh, the online yeah. editor. Okay. And um, is that like below a real editor or something? He's responsible for the website. Okay. Yeah. 
And um, I mean, he's a fancy dude, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he went to Harvard and is, you know, he has lunch with Anta, Anna Wintner. Mm-hmm. He has an iPhone 6, too. Right? He has an iPhone, <laughs> probably an iPhone 11 at this point. But I mean, the point being that it just really angered me because he was, you know, he was this guy that was just like Mark Anthony, New York Times. And um, one day on the Upper East Side, uh, his double wide stroller was <laughs> annoying a white woman. Yeah. And the woman zoomed past him and then sort of offhanded said, go back to China. And he mm-hmm. like crumbled emotionally. Like yeah. he could he was so fragile. Yeah. Like he crumbled emotionally. Yeah. Like, yeah. First of all, I was like, I, I don't think we should be this fragile. But okay. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and uses his position at the New York Times to sort of write about this, but instead of saying anything, in my opinion, helpful, he just mm-hmm. basically wrote out his whole life story right. as to why he doesn't deserve that. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, that's not your life ain't the point. If she had said that to three Chinese women who were here on vacation and literally were going back to China the next day, <laughs> it's still wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't really care what your background is. I don't know mm-hmm. why you – and then – I don't know. There was just something about not questioning the – like it wasn't that it, that the xenophobia is on the minds of people. It's that you felt that you should have been given an exception to it. Mm -hmm. And it just like there was a principle to that that really, really pissed me off when I saw that. So I have a confession to make. Yeah. Um, I do remember when that uh, article that came out and, uh, you know, after that came out, Michael Lau on Twitter kind of invited Asian Americans to tweet at him incidents of uh, like. Oh, racist. I thought that was good. I'm glad yeah. he did that. Yeah. That I thought was good. And then they decided to make like a video, New York Times video response to that. Um, and I tweeted at him like a couple of things and they invited me to like do do a video, uh, like a video response. And um, looking back on those, those were, I would say those were like in my more like boba, what, what would you call it? Boba liberal <laughs> days. <laughs> Um, and so like, I thought it was fine at the time, but looking back on it now, I remember, you know, some of the, some of the stories that were included in the video and they were just very like, you know, there were a few people who they were talking about how they were offended because they were going into work and, you know, a white coworker, a white colleague, um, mistook them for a delivery person, right? And it's just, um, it's very indicative of uh, this Asian American desire for like middle class white acceptance, right? right? Because like, who cares if someone, if someone like mistakes you for a delivery driver? Yeah. It just, it just shows you like your own classist perception of like, you know. Well, I mean, I wasn't, I'll put it this way. I, I get that. And I think I am still like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think. All, all, you know, nobody wants their, nobody wants to be pigeonholed based on race. Yeah. Fundamentally, it does come down to saying I'm being pigeonholed because of my race, right? And yeah, there may be classist elements to that. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't want to be seen as poorer than I yeah. am or less uh, educated than I am. Uh, but then again, no one wants to be seen like that. I mean, I don't really fault it. I think the p- reason I was so mad was because this guy wrote about class issues and race issues for a living. Yeah. And he's at the New York Times. Like, he's a person with a great amount of influence and that it was this it was just a really like a distilled version of that that was making it to the top like there wasn't a greater consciousness Mm -hmm. by the time we got to the editor you know the editorial uh staff at the new york times Mm -hmm. it was more of the same and i was like someone's gotta say something about this this is not Mm -hmm. acceptable we really should send Michael, a fruit basket. We got so much mileage out of that that piece. <laughs> so, Michael, if you're listening, tell us what your favorite fruit is. We'll, we'll send you a basket. Uh, but I want I want to add, like, I did think that him. I, I mean, I, I don't fault him personally. I just think that that's who he is, mm. and that's who a lot of Asian Americans are. And that it was great that he did open up the floor for yeah. other Asian Americans to come and say their piece. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good thing. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to dump on this guy, but. That article, man, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you all remember? I'm, I know you guys have seen that a tweet. It was, I don't think this ever happened. I think it was all bullshit. But it ha- uh, supposedly happened in Rome, I think, 
where the, uh, there was like a train. People were on a train. And this uh, Chinese boy steps on. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Jesus. It was obvious bullshit, right? That did not happen. But let's just say Oh, it yeah, happened. totally made up. Um, then apparently uh, some somebody accuses him of like, go back to China. And this guy who's tweeting, it says that he responded in like perfect Italian. Like, uh-huh. no, ma'am, I, I'm like a Roman. I grew up here. I will never be going back to China. I, and he then- said, I only know <laughs> China through Google Maps. And that was just so wrong. I said that if I were him, I would have said, fuck off. Uh, Seria sucks. Juve are a bunch of cheaters. <laughs> and uh, I'll just cough on all of you. Just no, but he's not wrong. That's the thing. I don't think he's wrong. The kid's just trying to save his own skin. I'm saying the fact that all these no, no, uh, no. Yeah, but the, the thing people is- who are tweeting the story out like this is some this is this is, um, you know, the the fact that there are Chinese who don't. Um, are not connected to China. They only speak Italian. Mm-hmm. And that we have to start understanding that there's like Chinese people who should be going back to China. And then there's like yeah. Italians who have, they've converted over to being full Italians. Like that you you had people who were Italian. There was an Italian guy, I think that, that tweeted that story out mm-hmm. when I saw it. Putting that out as an example of someone getting their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. this racist person got got like owned in public. No, precisely. And then the real problem was all the people who were retweeting and, and tweeting that in sport, thinking that this was model behavior to follow, yeah. which yeah. is absolutely not the case. Well, no, it's. I mean, I think the 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 guy, the the actual Chinese Italian guy, who never existed, who never existed. <laughs> but I'm saying in that story, I don't. He didn't do anything wrong. Well, he's like, trying well, to. He's, he's a little boy. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to judge him. I'm. Uh, my point is, all the people, all the adults. Uh, who are t- retweeting that story yes, as if that's, it, that's, that's the, the, that's that's the, the thing. Issue. But I think that's a big distinction to make is the difference between someone who's just trying to get through their day and, you know, not get beat up on a train. Like, I'm not going to... I don't think that that person needs to, like, be 100%, you know, addressing all the issues here. But you're right. I think it's the it's the attitude that surrounded that story that's the problem. To say, like, somehow... This says something good about Italy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I oftentimes I just think about like, let's just switch. This is what gets me upset is like how much of this shit I've come to accept as a Chinese person. Yeah. Whereas if I switch Chinese for Jew, because often the kind of racism that's directed mm-hmm. at us is more of an anti-Semitic type than an anti-black type. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing is like often I just switch out Chinese for Jew because it's a similar type of racism. And it would never fly. You mm-hmm. would never it would never fly. If someone was being bullied for being a Jew on a train in Italy, yeah, to, for them to say, "Ma'am, the only time I've ever been to synagogue was when I was a child, and I've I've renounced my religion mm-hmm. um, long ago," and the train mm-hmm. erupts in in applause, that's a fucking nightmare. Well, it would fly with a certain crowd of you know the obviously like the the, the people that we all think are no, toxic. no, I don't think it would fly. I don't think it would fly. No, I mean, it would fly just, with uh, the like white nationalists, but the most of the mainstream, especially no, I think white the nationalists, who, even would deny that those stories occur. I mean, that is so off the charts bad. Mm. Have you seen that, some of the anti-Semitic stuff that's being said out there, though? I don't think that. What I'm saying is that there, it's clearly unacceptable, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's a that's something that the West, so to speak, debates. We don't debate whether that's acceptable or not. Sure, there might be trolls that'll engage in that, but nobody of right mind, even Donald Trump would not say that that's acceptable. But somehow, if it's Chinese, it's not only acceptable, but celebrated. Yeah. Well, that's and the that, danger, right? That, because that, 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 that distinction really bothers me. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. It's like if, if you say something anti-Semitic, there will be uh, this like fringe that will celebrate, but everyone else will generally come down on it. But if it's said against like... And the thing is, it's like, it's always... It's all. This is like weaselly thing to say. Oh, it's it's only against the Chinese government, or right. it's only against the Chinese fob. Right. And right. they'll try to make it seem as if, uh, it, it's just like a limited part of Asia. I mean, first of all, like Chinese, there are a lot of fucking Chinese. Okay, so <laughs> if you're Asian, there's like a decent chance you actually are Chinese. So that distinction is is just kind of pointless in that regard. But also, um, it it's also not true. Like they will, like nobody, nobody can tell if you're. You know, whether you're, you're like from the mainland or you're from Taiwan mm-hmm. or you're from Korea, Vietnam, hell, even like like Filipino. I, I know like some Southeast Asians try to act like they're so different. Like a lot of Filipinos. I was I'm mistaken for Filipino sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. if I hang out with Filipinos. So mm-hmm. that distinction is meaningless. They're really just trying to act as if it's some kind of principle stand when it's really just like very deep seated civilizational fear of of like Asians. It's yeah. also just racism. Yeah. Speaking of media, uh, Amanda, you tweeted out some great uh, screenshots <laughs> of 
<laughs> of stuff. Uh, let's just go through some of them. So okay. I'm looking at one. This is the uh, Wall Street Journal um, by Daniel Henninger. It's called a com- communist coronavirus. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, broadly speaking, there are two kinds of uh, uh, coronavirus coverage, uh, right? Um, so there's like the very sensationalized uh like two kinds of racist coronavirus coverage. There's like the very sensationalized, uh, like sort of breathless coverage of like Chinese, uh, like dietary habits and hygienic practices, right? And it's just implicitly, it's just saying like, oh my God, look at these like dirty chinks. They eat bats. They're disgusting, gross. Um, and then there's a second type which um, is like coronavirus as this sort of metaphor for uh, like the Chinese uh, political system and the Chinese government itself, um, where it's uh, like something that uh, is like kind of bleeding out beyond its borders and like needs to be contained at whatever cost necessary. And um, it's basically like a metaphor for like China's uh, emerging influence via the Belt and Road Initiative. And it's uh, more anxiety about uh, the decline of the U.S. empire uh, and the decline of U.S. hegemony. Uh, Because, you know, like the world's being there's a new like realignment, right? There's like declining U.S. and its allies and then China, Iran, Russia and uh, there's uh, I th- it's really interesting the way that this like epidemic is being used as a metaphor for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think a good indicator of that mindset. I was watching uh, for, I don't know why, but I was watching MSNBC when I think this was the New Hampshire primary. And Chris Matthews, I think, is, is a perfect spokesperson for this a liberal nationalist. Um, what you might call this like Tom Brokawism, you know, that yearning for the mid 20th century american greatness the greatest generation greatest generation uh fetishization and all that that's him to a t chris matthews yeah yeah um he does you know he hates bernie and he was talking about how bernie is uh, indicts america too much that's like Uh. the crux of it which is like you know there's a right-wing comparison for that you know the the people who said you know obama bows too much to the Mm. basically the brown leaders of the world it's really just uh, a slightly more liberal version of that where it's um yeah you know like we, we should be i guess more tolerant of the the muslims but you know we still got a lead kind of mm, idea right, and this right. idea that oh my god this this new world order with, with the the chinese and the iranians and and the russians who are i guess to them the most yellow of the whites or something <laughs> so <it's, laughs> or the red the red and yellow right it scares the hell out of them yeah. Um, okay. So this other article, uh, "Welcome to the Belt Road Belt and Road Pandemic" by Laurie Garrett. I uh, I don't know what publication this is from. Oh, this Do is you... from Foreign Policy. Oh, but this is Policy. like another example yeah. of uh, like the Chinese system like needing to be cont- yeah. like ostensibly talking about coronavirus, but really talking about uh, Chinese influence. Yeah, yeah. I'll read this thing you highlighted. Okay. Uh, so in the article, it says it's hard to look at the new routes built with Chinese aid over Siberia and the Himalayas. And as far as Africa, without seeing potential routes for disease that could carry contagion to every corner of the world, which is, <laughs> but isn't that true of any kind of, I don't know, road, canal, railroad, mm-hmm. <laughs> airline route? But it, it's like, oh no, it, it's it's this like special uh, Chinese-ness that makes it more prone to disease. It's just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, that, I don't know how you feel, but that to me indicates that, that, the coronavirus and this is this is part of the reason why i find this whole thing so fucked up is that if you if you go up high enough to where places like foreign policy and the whole um sort of geopolitical community they're using it as a football they're using it as a as a tool mm-hmm. but like we have to pay the price right mm-hmm. because what they're doing is they're saying they're they're dispassionate and they're removed from it to say well we're engaged in this like great powers game with china Mm -hmm. and so we'll do what we can to contain china and if that means that we have to spread racist lies and sentiment we will do that Mm -hmm. and uh i'm like okay i'm sure i'm sure that that has been something that america has been doing forever but like 
like people have to pay a price for this shit and mm-hmm. it's not them it's like regular ass asian people just trying to go about their lives you know yeah. and it sucks uh, mm-hmm. and so uh fuck it <laughs> i'm not i'm not i'm not willing to pay that price for that mm-hmm. um well, this is probably my favorite article that you tweeted out this is the new york times and this was written by an actual Asian person. Oh, and yeah. Leon, this is hilarious. He's uh, from Hong Kong. He's from Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. that figures. <laughs> uh, well, the, the headline is, Why did the coronavirus outbreak start in China? And I'll read some of the highlights uh, <laughs> you did. Um, so he says, These are recent examples, but that doesn't mean they should be pinned solely on the Chinese Communist Party. So he, uh, the practice of punishing whoever brings embarrassing truths has been the order of the day since at least the time <laughs> Confucius <laughs> <laughs> in the 6th century BC. <laughs> So, I mean, so, I mean that's just hilarious to me because that, yeah. that implies that, oh, before before this guy Confucius came up with this brilliant idea that if you're in power and someone says something embarrassing about you, uh, <laughs> you punish them. He, he invented that apparently in, in the 6th century BC. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, outside of coronavirus, if you're going to write any article about China, there's usually a template that it follows. Um, you know, there's like, this construction of the East versus the West as, you know, like these two like stable categories that are like fixed and never changing. Right. Um, what's another one? Um, you always call the Chinese political system authoritarian, um, which is basically like kind of a racist word that only describes like global South countries. Right. Um, another thing is that you always have to shoehorn Confucius in at like whatever however you can and um i'm surprised that it had taken this long but i hadn't seen someone uh connect the coronavirus epidemic to confucius until this past weekend um uh, it was written by uh some like think tank person named like orville shell or something like that and he wrote an op-ed for the uh, new york uh, the la times that connected um coronavirus to the mandate of heaven confucius whatever and a few days after that came out this new york times op-ed came out and it not only uh included confucius but it also included uh you know this stereotype of like chinese people as like un- these uncivilized barbarians who just like eat anything and torture and kill uh animals um just wild animals and eat them so i think we're at this stage where you know like we just throw every conceivable like chinese cliche into a word doc and and then just hit send that op-ed literally reads like it was written by a China watcher bot that just like gone (laughs) completely haywire (laughs) like there's like no content except Cliche after cliche after cliche. It's pure food man. Oh, even worse. Uh, I, well, I, uh, in that New York Times article, I, I'll just read this part you also highlighted. The reason is rooted in the so-called mandate of heaven, a concept dating back to the Zhou <laughs> dynasty 3,000 years ago. This ancient notion holds that mortal efforts of the Chinese people to rule themselves are cosmically linked to an <laughs> impersonal heaven, which confers legitimacy on upright and able rulers or sons of heaven. Even worse than a bot, I seriously, I, I wrote this exact paragraph in eighth grade social yeah, studies class, sounds like. yeah. world civilizations unit, when we thought, when we learned about Taoism and yeah. Confucianism and legalism, yeah. and this yeah. was exactly what's said in the textbooks, and that it's just well. Remember, right this there. is was that the New York? What was that Foreign Policy or New York Times? It was New, York, it was New York, York, Times. York Times. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the same newspaper that published um, the reason Parasite is such an angry movie is because of right. Uh, Confucianism. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, that was that was another. Uh, one. What is their deal? Their obsession with this shit. God, mm. do they just have like? harsh deadlines are they just finding these people like Al Jazeera like you know contacting you three hours or did they just contact this dude no, like three I, hours I don't think I mean personally I don't think any of this stuff is random I mean right, I don't right, think right, each yeah, one that's a very yeah that, I'm too being too generous to them I mean I think none of it I don't think any of it is particularly well thought out but I think there definitely is an attempt to because this doesn't all go back to like orientalism mm-hmm. right? yeah yeah and it's all part of this almost reflexive need for the west that's such a strange conception that we talk about ourselves that way now, mm-hmm. the West. But it's all been talked to. Like, none of this is new, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is right. all, we know, we've known about this stuff. And yet you can't really stop it. Like, not knowing about it doesn't seem to really stop it. it yeah. It's a recurring pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, why don't you tell us about that uh, 
that headline that was so what, what was it? Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, that was so bad. You tweeted about it, and then they changed it. Oh yeah. Um, let me see. Oh, that was one of the best victories online. Uh, well, let me see if I can find it first. Okay. Um, because it was really egregious. Um, this was the one where the New York Times, as you're searching for it, I think this is mm-hmm. the one where New York Times had had an article online where they clearly buried the lead because the right. article actually wasn't bad. Uh, but the t- but the headline had some- something like, you know, China has long been considered uh, had the reputation of being the, the land where diseases and other and 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 epidemics uh, originate from, fair oh. or not. You know, <laughs> so uh, what they themselves. actually tweeted out was a lot of epidemics seem to come out of China, reinforcing its historical reputation as an incubator of deadly diseases. Whether that reputation is really justified, however, is open to debate. Um, and then I quote tweeted it and I said, NYT, you know, colon, is China a disgusting cesspool of filthy disease? Feel free to debate. Um, and I'm actually very proud of this because a coworker sent this to me uh, like one day and I looked at it and I was like, I can't I can't deal with this right now. And then I came back to it a day later and I looked at the at the New York Times tweet and it had like very little engagement. Right. Maybe like 10 likes or something like that. Nobody was paying attention to it. So I, th- I quote tweeted it with what I just said. And, um, you know, like sometimes you you think like. Am I am I really imagining all this racism? Because there's a lot. Am I just seeing racism and everything? But you know, like a like a lot. Anyway, so I quote tweeted it out. A lot of people also found it to be really racist, and so they just basically like they left all of these comments uh, underneath that tweet, and it got ratioed so hard that um, they actually the New York Times deleted it and then retweeted the article out with like a much better headline. But um, if you actually read the article, um, it was much more nuanced and it was uh, it was basically arguing that um, China has made like great strides in public health um, and it doesn't deserve its reputation as this incubator of disease. But I mean, first of all, does it really have a reputation to begin with as an incubator of disease? So like what are what are you really arguing against? Um, second of all, nobody anymore takes the time to read the actual article. They just read the headline and then like the tweet. And so if you this tweet by the New York Times was deliberate, right? Because they know that nobody's going to read the article. Um, and so the damage is already done. Yeah. I think that's a classic case of begging the question, right? It's like they assume this premise is true. Mm-hmm. They base it off of that. Like, wait a minute, like we should we should go back to that premise. Like, don't assume that that's true. Oh, recent fact that I only recently found out. Do you know how many people died because of swine flu in in the year that it it was like like virulent? Uh, like half a million in the U.S. or I think around the world. Okay. Oh, that's so surprising. Oh my God, half a million. Yeah. Um. Right. And and you know nobody really. I mean, the coronavirus that, but... story is bad. It's dangerous. Like whatever is going on is pretty bad. Uh. But like it just see this is the thing that for me personally makes it really this is what makes it difficult is like just to fight back against just straight up racism like that uh it appears that you're trying to like people will accuse you of trying to minimize stuff mm-hmm. you know and it's like no I'm not coronavirus is a big deal obviously it's a big deal you know yeah and but then you're for it. Do you know what I mean? Like you're forced to to seed, right? And you, it sounds like you're trying to. And I see people on Twitter doing this, I, where they're trying to say coronavirus ain't a, you know, oh, it's being overblown and all. This I stuff. do think it is being yeah. over. I do think like the World Health Organization was right in declaring a public, like a global public health emergency, so that like, you know, everyone can cooperate to, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, find a cure or whatever, but, um. I do think that there, I think that the panic uh, surrounding it is very premature, um, given that, you know, like over 90% of the cases are contained within China. And, um, you know, I think the Chinese CDC released a report of like 17,000 people infected and uh, like the overwhelming majority of the cases are mild. They're mild cases, 80%, 82%. Um, like 10% are severe. Um, 
there it has like around a two percent fatality rate, and uh, most of the people that are uh, dying of coronavirus are they have the same profiles as people who normally die from the flu, like elderly, very young, um, compromised immune systems. Um, so I do, and there are only. I don't know how many confirmed cases there are in the U.S., like fewer than 20, and they're all under quarantine. So I do think that the panic around it is very premature. Like you are very likely not going to contract it. If you do, like in the very, very, very small chance that you do, you would likely survive. Um, But, um, and, you know, I talk about this a lot. Uh, I, I see a lot of parallels um, to of coronavirus to uh, Ebola a few a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is, um, you know, like every time there's a new emerging infectious disease and people are trying to like understand it, grapple uh, with what it actually is. Uh, there are like non-white populations that are targeted as uh, like vectors of this disease and they're kind of um, seen as objects of public moralizing in the case of Ebola and uh, coronavirus it like reanimated like these stereotypes of us as like disgusting filthy uh, people who don't who eat disgusting wild animals and don't wash our hands uh stuff like that um even though like what a, what you consider uh you know an animal that's food versus like one that's vermin it's like totally culturally like constructed right yeah i mean i think i think with ebola i probably fell fell victim to the uh imagery that they because i didn't really mm-hmm. think about it very much but our friend diana she was she does um Stand up, and she was making some jokes about the racism, the yeah. extreme racism around coronavirus. And she said that uh, a couple black people in the audience, like, were talking. You know, they just mingle after the show, and they said, "Oh yeah, that was totally what happened with Ebola." Yeah, you know. And I didn't really notice it. And I've mm-hmm. actually heard people, I've heard some uh, people on like Asian Twitter saying, "Oh, they never did this with Ebola. It's only you know, like there's sometimes." And I disagree with this approach sometimes, where it's like, "Oh, they have a they have it." especially out for the Chinese or for, for Asians. Oh, no, you that, that kind of bothers me, too, yeah. the way that like a lot some Chinese uh, uh, people think this is like some exceptional event, like like this is unique to us. Yeah. No, it happens every time. Yeah, we happen to be the target of it. Yeah, now. it happened with HIV AIDS. Like mm-hmm. when uh, we we didn't understand it, uh, there was a lot of blame uh, placed on like the gay queer community. It yeah. happened with MERS, middle the Middle Eastern, yeah. like yeah. at that time. Yeah. But like, since I'm not paying attention, uh, I don't think about how that would affect, you know, uh, people like Arab people or Persian mm-hmm. people to go around dealing with something called like MERS. Mm-hmm. And so, I think for me, I have learned to keep my eyes open for that. Yeah. Because this time around, since it's like Asian people that are in the targets, I'm like, okay, what did I miss? Like, I I, I must have missed. When this happened to a lot of other people, mm-hmm. you know, back in 2014 when uh, Ebola was breaking out, uh, I remember like Trump tweeting out things like, like because remember there were like American missionaries or you know like Doctors Without Borders people who were in Africa treating them, and I think there were a few of them who were being flown back, mm. and I think Trump was leading the charge to <laughs> keep them out, mm-hmm. saying oh we can't let them back in, and people uh, he got a lot of criticism saying you know what kind of coward are you, but he also said things like we we got a uh, 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 you know stop the visas from Ebola countries basically African countries right right and and um, it's like another way of uh, you know sealing the border like fortifying like this this border yeah yeah and I think there's a particular I mean like you know epidemics come up f- you know not frequently but it, it's inevitable but there's yeah. like a particular uh, intolerance when it happens I think comes from foreign non-white countries it's right like, it's like, i mean it's it's like there's a certain level they'll tolerate okay if it's like swine flu coming from our own pig farms and whatever that's a cost of living whatever <sighs> but oh no like th- this like chinese virus this like african virus that's like we cannot we c- uh, that's something we cannot tolerate kind of thing yeah yeah africanized killer bees oh yeah stuff. i mean they've noticed this stuff for a while uh 
or like any invasive species is yeah, be isn't there like some like Asian chinese kutsu. carp that's like eating all asian the asian carp asian yes. carp asian, asian snakeheads beetle uh, there, isn't there some wood beetle like yeah. asian wood beetle yeah. Yeah. oh yeah like, like yeah, something that's always seen as invasive let, let's yeah. talk about invasive species <laughs> let's, let's see who really invaded the midwest okay all right um actually uh, amanda i want to uh, get a little bit more personal and just be like okay so we like, oh, what's your background? Where did you grow okay. up? Like, how, how did you end up like, caring about all this stuff, you know? like, um, So I was born in, uh, well, I was born and grew up in central Indiana uh, uh, in a very, like, white, homogenous town. And, um, well, I want to talk about my family first. So my grandpa was a migrant worker and he was Chinese from the mainland, but he was a migrant worker in Hong Kong. He did construction and eventually he saved enough money for him and my grandma to move to the U.S. And then my parents followed shortly thereafter. And for the first five years of my life, I lived in this like small uh, house in central Indiana with my grandparents so that my uh, parents could work and save up enough money to like uh, buy a house of our own. And um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We were a working class family. Um, They didn't really, my parents didn't speak any English when they came here. My dad worked in the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant. My mom uh, waited tables and she would also like take English classes on top of that to like improve her English. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, so the town that we grew up in was incredibly racist. It was very, very racist. And I think I started started becoming aware of my own difference at a very early age because I would, you know, I would go to preschool and I would get bullied um, because, well, I was Chinese, but, you know, like class is always kind of intertwined with that. Um, We didn't have a lot of money. And so a lot of the clothes that I wore were hand-me-downs, so uh, I was, like, bullied for being Chinese and, like, wearing these ill-fitting clothes. So I think that had always been in the back of my mind growing up, uh, this, like, idea of racialized difference, but... When did you end up leaving Indiana? I left Indiana when I was 19. I moved to Kentucky. I went to IU for about a semester and I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I quit and moved to Louisville. Was that an improvement? Uh, I would say so, yeah. Uh, it's a very like white liberal city and it definitely has its issues as a white liberal city. But growing up in Green- at Greenwood, that's where it was. Um, it was, at least there was like some diversity and i saw like other uh asians but it was still like racist but in like that kind of 12 dimensional liberal racist way where you know it's not like as overt (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) the more complicated form of it yeah yeah um and uh i like a lot of other chinese americans um saw racism as something uh as interpersonal um, I never really connected it to, uh, like, the U.S. foreign policy, U.S. empire. Um, and I'm not really sure. I can't really, like, pinpoint the exact moment. But at, at some point, I started questioning um, Asian American identity itself and the U.S. national project itself. Approximately how old were you? I was probably, like, in my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you like? Did you identify as Asian? I mean, of course you do. But mm-hmm. like, did you did you follow, you know, Asian American discourse and? I didn't. All that stuff? Yeah. I really didn't. Um, you know, we talk about uh, like this Asian desire to like approximate whiteness. Um, that like to want to be like in proximity to what and I I think for a long time I I was like that Mm -hmm. um and you know like growing up in that kind of racist environment you 
internalize a lot of the racism that's directed at you, right? You see other people like see, saying that your family, your culture, whatever is backwards, it's dirty, and you can't help, but you can't help, but like it actually shapes your perceptions and it shape and those perceptions it impacted my relationship with my to my family uh to my parents and i'm not sure when when it was but like once i started once i realized you know like the history of the us that we learn in school is like very much from this uh like white settler colonialist narrative i started to question how we learn about like east asia and china itself right because what how do we learn about china in school uh you it's through this lens of like well they had a communist revolution and now it's just this authoritarian government and it's just like completely backwards um yeah i think the common elements are always like they built the like thousands of years ago. They built the Great Wall. They did mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they did foot binding. Then there were the communists. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what you learn. Yeah, exactly. And so, does anyone here who doesn't have links to China do they really know anything about China? Right? It's just this black box uh, that we only see through like what the New York Times, what we learn in school. We don't know anything about China. And so, um, you know, like once I, you know, started questioning that, I started seeing how these sort of perceptions, I've always had like a very strange relation, strained relationship with my parents, my, my mom especially. And I realized that it was like because of like this internalized racism, like I, I had. And, um, you know, like, when I went to school, uh, I spoke. We spoke Cantonese growing up, right? And when I went to school, I started learning English. And um, unfortunately, like I would, I would speak English uh, at home, and my parents never really uh, like forced me to speak Cantonese. And I don't really blame them because um, you know they were there were like years when they would work, you know, seven days a week, and you know. They were just exhausted and, you know, there are certain battles that you like choose um, and language was just not one of them. Um, so I lost my Cantonese is like so shit now uh, that I I'm taking classes, but it's it's um, I don't know, like I don't know if it's you can only describe it as like this, like tremendous feeling of dislocation of just being like dislocated from your culture no i can relate to like when i started school like i grew up speaking korean that was my first language Mm -hmm. because my parents spoke it i start school you know over the years then english becomes my what i speak at home but my parents speak still speak korean to me and when i was like early teens to eventually when i left home to go to college it was always this like it's like a you know little war at home because my mom would always be like speak korean yeah And, and and I was, it, it, but it wasn't just about the language. It, it was a greater symbolic uh, fight over yeah. me saying, why do I always have to assimilate to you? Why can't you meet me halfway at least? Because yeah. I was all like, uh, you know, my mom was never that good at English. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but that was yeah. always uh, a fight. And that's the thing, like, it's still to this day, like, um, you know, I always want to improve my Korean and stuff. But when I'm like, sometimes talking to my parents, especially when we're kind of like mad, I'm like, I don't want to speak Korean because like, <laughs> I feel like I'm capitulating to you know these age-old like domestic fights we had that were a result of all this, as you call that displacement, this like internalized racism and all that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like hard to get over. I think that's the, I think that's how a lot of people on on, because uh, we did this uh, pod with um, Redmond, who's like diaspora is red. Oh yeah, he does all the the memes and stuff. Yeah, I like his account. He's cool. Yeah, he's cool. What's his uh, What's his current username? Uh, Socialist. Southeast oh. social Southeast Asian socialist with with Chinese characteristics or something. Like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember. Yeah, I think he had said something similar. Well, well, his his take was like you know, if I recall, um, just that. Even even the parents of a lot of like Southeast Asians kind of push their kids to maybe it's a little di- different actually they they kind of like push their kids to assimilate more. 
Oh, and yeah. To, and they're very pro-American. Like the Vietnamese diaspora is very pro-American. Yeah. And and it's amazing to me that there's like these younger people out there who actually are rebelling against that side of their parents. Whereas, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's, I love, I love yeah. saying that. That's that's beautiful. It is. Yeah. It's a very. It's just a very. There's a lot of different pathways. I think, but I think at the end, a lot of people. Because I was. I grew up very differently. I always wanted to run away from white people uh, <laughs> as fast as possible. I never would. You're wanted. an anomaly, you know. I guess so. I mean, I because like I spent yeah. time in Taiwan as a kid, and and I didn't want to leave. I was like, this place is so much better. Um, it's a it's a real city with. I could I could you know I could go out by myself into the city, whereas I'm just stuck in my fucking suburban home. And you know, mm-hmm. just whatever. Uh and but it doesn't matter. Like it's just interesting to me that there's just right now I don't know what's going on in the US, but clearly like people are especially younger people are really questioning um sort of like dominant ideologies that have been around since fucking forever. Mm-hmm. Probably since like the eighties, uh maybe even before. And it really doesn't matter how you grow up. It it seems like people are arriving at similar mm-hmm. conclusions. You know what's, nice what's the see. perfect uh, encapsulation of that? This was actually something I, I thought I might just add in randomly at the end because it was so funny. But you know, <laughs> recently how Trump was uh, upset that Parasite had won yeah. Best Picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, why can't we have Gone with the Wind back? Uh, and more hilariously, <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. I, that was so funny. Like That what? was random. That was so random. And, and actually, I, no, I didn't think the MAGA supporters would even have no, liked that movie. If you, if you heard the crowd support... It was like gone with the wind. Everyone cheers. Everyone was like gone with the wind. And he's like Sunset Boulevard. And You're people like, were like, oh, what, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but actually, Which is a great I, I gotta, movie. That's I got to give movie. it to him. I was like, you know what? Trump has pretty good taste if he's watching uh, Billy Wilder, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunset Boulevard. But I thought that was a perfect, um, just a, a contrast of Trump uh, yearning for Gone with the Wind and, you know, Sunset Boulevard versus, you know, what was you know, fuck the Oscars, but still, that was one of the probably the most exciting Oscars moment in a long time, right? So yeah, I think I think that that's what Asian Americans are responding to because uh, mm-hmm. something I brought up in the pod earlier. Like we were taught pretty much, like okay, there's this path for you that you can do pretty well in. You know, um, you you'll you know you'll get the grades, you'll get the jobs, and whatever. At least at least the police aren't shooting you in the streets or whatever. I think more of us are saying, uh, you know what, fuck that. Uh, that's yeah, if we if we like speak out, there will be you know the haters and the mm-hmm. and the you know maybe you can talk about some of the nasty DMs you get. I don't know if you want to oh, talk yeah. about that. Uh, oh yeah, sometimes you know. Well, okay, okay. So I should probably close my DMs. That's probably like every once in a while. Every once in a while, I get a DM that's just like, "Hey, I really appreciate your tweets," and they, you know, like like they'll be like oh, i have a friend and she is really like panicking about corona what can i about coronavirus what can i tell her to like sort of calm her down and like uh, uh like you know tell her try and tell her that like it's like very racist this like panic surrounding it um so just like dms like that and i think keeping them open I, like those are worth it but um you know most of the time they're very supportive and they're very nice every once in a while i will get a dm that's like please go fucking die <laughs> um or you know just something really nasty the typical range of like sexual harassment that Asians oh yeah 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 on. yeah 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 for sure um yeah there was like this wasn't a dm but uh there under some coronavirus tweet it somehow the tweet somehow got catapulted into like alt-right twitter and Wait, one of your tweets got shared around there you mean yeah oh, okay um and uh someone responded with this photo that they had uh not a photo but an image that they had created looked like it'd been created in microsoft word uh, or paint microsoft paint and it was like uh, an image of like himself in a hazmat suit and then like oh shit i saw this one yeah, yeah. he was like rubbing my blood on himself uh you know after i had presumably died of coronavirus yeah i saw this one yeah that was yeah. horrifying actually yeah and then his friend had like done he had created like another similar image in microsoft paint and you know he tweeted out caption like 
me and my friends when Amanda is trying to spread her coronavirus and it's like a picture of like three people in hazmat suits kicking this like a Chinese person on the ground wearing like one of those rice paddy hats with, ch- with the chinky thing. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that, and that, that was, was supposed to be you. That was supposed to maybe okay. supposed to be me. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. I mean, I think like you take that stuff in stride and joke about it, which I think is the right response. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, because that's what they see. want. Yeah. That that's what they want. They yeah. want like a reaction out of you. Yeah. Um, but don't give them that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you should feel sorry for the people who do that because, I mean, that's a pretty pathetic thing to do. It is, yeah. You got to feel for these people because they've really got, they're just like, they're just like lost in the world, these people. Like, I really feel bad for them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I brought up those DMs because, you know, that is, like, you do this knowing that will happen, right? But you still you still yeah. speak out about this. And I think it, it's because, I, th- I think we kind of knew what it was like to be this like forced blissful ignorance but we always knew that it wasn't we always kind of knew something was messed up yeah we try to force ourselves thinking it's all right it's all right but we knew that the fake didn't feel real anyway so why not just just be real and and take the consequences because at least there's a kind of shared solidarity and i don't know if i call it happiness in this kind of like misery misery might be too strong a word but so i um growing up as chinese people you're kind of always taught, maybe as an act of self-preservation, that like whatever racist attacks, whatever is directed at you, you should just like keep your head down and just ignore it. And that's what I did, you know, when I was bullied in school. Um, and I think, I don't know, like maybe part of this is just like my resentment at myself for doing that, because that's like the complete that is the wrong reaction to any sort of racist attack, right? Um, you should never do that. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe that's me making up for what I did in the past. Yeah. Not, not only is it wrong, it will one day catch up to you inevitably. Yeah. It will build up and build up and build up. And maybe if it doesn't affect you, uh, if you have like kids down the line, it's going to affect them yeah, and yeah. it's going to explode. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, some 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 scenarios are easier than others i mean you know oh, what like, are you talking about well if you're growing up and you're like the one you know if you're if it's i mean it depends on how much you're being intimidated and how much a threat there is i guess you know what i mean so you're saying I if mean, you're the only asian person it, it's yeah like, it's like if i if i grew up in 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 a in, a, in la and there it was like you know 35 40 percent asian i don't know i'm just making shit up but like and it would be easier you know, to, mm, yeah. but if you're like the one yeah. Asian kid, you're right. it's harder. Oh, no, it's definitely harder. But y- so, even if so you... I, think, I think whether something's wrong or right, I mean, I don't know if it's about wrong or right, but I just think that it, 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 I mean, the worse position you're in, the harder it is to stand up to things. Right, right. But yeah. regardless of how easy or hard it is, it's, you're never going to be free from it, right? It's going to one day build up inside you and eat eat away at you and it's going to explode whether you're like 16 26 66 whatever it's going to happen so you know hopefully like th- that like kid who's like the only asian person out in in like whatever boise or nebraska or whatever hopefully like he or she gets out um because you know there's i think we've all learned that you can't really just suppress it like well whatever's in the water in indiana must be interesting because like you're the second guest we've had from indiana oh yasmin yasmin there is oh yeah 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 yeah. well she grew up there uh she was born in calcutta and then she uh grad school grad school did she talk about there as a kid oh okay did she talk about the racism that she experienced in indiana uh i think she has in the past but she actually spoke of it with some fondness because we just didn't get into it um but she like she did talk about like we were talking about like asian stereotypes and stuff in the media and she was using like this guy that she knew he was like a chinese kid Mm -hmm. and his parents owned a restaurant and Mm -hmm. i think she was friends with him and he was like a pothead Uh and she was talking about how he would like drive around in his car like blasting beethoven and (laughs) And using him as an example of someone who really busted or did not meet any sort of like media derived expectation of what an asian american yeah young man would be like yeah someone from indiana uh whose parents owned a restaurant um anyway i i just thought that was interesting that that's mm-hmm. two in a row <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. All right, so uh, we've been potting for a little bit over an hour. Uh, anything else you want to do? Any random topics that, that you want to discuss? You said I feel like you have something on your mind. <laughs> no, you, you, gotta, you, you look like you look like you're like because I got one. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, that that parasite thing was what I wanted to talk about. Oh, we, I see, we, I see. we already got it out of the way. It fit in seamlessly there. So, uh, do, is that where people should find you uh, online? Is that your Twitter? Cat yeah, only? Uh, find me online at cat content only. C a t c o n t e n t o n l y. I mean, I, I, hopefully our listeners know how to spell those rather basic yeah, content yeah. only. <laughs> no, and that's it, it it's a descript- in the show notes. It'll also be in the it's show a descript- notes. Oh, okay. It's a descriptive uh, uh, handle because you you often put out calls for co- cat content only. Right. Like that's what you want. Right. But yeah. don't be fooled. I don't actually tweet out cat content very often or at all, actually. It's mostly like, it's mostly, lately it's been mostly coronavirus, so follow for coronavirus content. Coronavirus content only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you did ask for cat pictures on your birthday, which was yeah. a few weeks ago. Oh, you got some good ones. Happy belated birthday. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You got some good c- cats in that in the, in the in the threads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to plug? Any like shows or, or podcasts? Uh, I think we talked about it a little before, but just to reiterate, anything you're appearing uh, in the near future you want us to keep a lookout for oh um i'm supposed to be on nick estes's uh podcast red nation within the next couple of weeks or so we haven't actually potted yet so but be on the lookout for that like for when it comes out um nothing are t- sorry are you gonna talk about politics generally or are you gonna talk about coronavirus, coronavirus? And racism? <laughs> yeah yeah okay <laughs> um once all of these like interviews die down, I'm gonna start writing again. Um, I think I uh, said I owe you guys a couple of essays. Well, you don't um, owe us anything. You don't owe us We'd anything. love to have something, and, and we'll pay you for it. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll write them uh-huh. once, once it settles down. Okay, great. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Thanks for being on our pod, Amanda. Thanks for having Welcome. me. You're it was welcome fun. back anytime. It was and we're fun. all in New York, so. Yeah, I just I love recording these like same room podcasts. So much easier to do and edit and all that. So you're yeah. gonna be editing this one, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and catch us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya.